0: Well, here we go. We're going to start our series on Ephesians. Are you ready? Yes. Cool. First of all, I just want to thank you all for all your prayers, uh, for all the procedures that I had. I had six stints put in on Tuesday, and here I am. How about that, huh? New and improved. I have a procedure on Friday, too. So I'm on the frequent flyer plan. If I get one more, I get a free one. So I'm working towards that. Have you have a coupon? Maybe I could use it on this one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I sure appreciate it. My mom came in for this procedure, and it was a pretty serious one. So she came in, and, and, um, and she was really overwhelmed with the hundreds and hundreds of responses on Facebook and by text and by phone uh, of, of people and people coming by and just loving up on us. And uh, that's what church is, you know? And that's what this series is on, is, uh, is, is what church is. It's one of the reasons why we're doing it today. So um, we're, I'm really excited about it. Are you guys excited about it? It's going to be a great series. So we're going to do this whole book it's going to take uh, about three months to do, so just let you know about it. And uh, what what we'd encourage you to do is, although we have a reading plan uh, that's in the bulletin or online on, uh, on our website, uh, please do that too. We encourage you to do that. But also, would you please read along with us in Ephesians? The next three weeks, we're going to be in the first chapter, so it's not that much reading. And if you could just be familiar with it. Uh, then you can help me out on Sundays or whoever's speaking. Jody's going to speak next week. Uh, did she mention, did Vicky mention that Jody has the bird flu, the Asian bird flu? So that's what happens when you go to Asia, you get the bird flu. Jody gets things like that. I don't know what it is, but whenever she get, goes away, she gets some exotic thing. So we shouldn't let her go anymore. What, what do you think? She might be listening now because she can. So everybody say hi to Jody you I hope you're watching <laughs> and uh, she she's I talked with her had a great conversation with her she came over to the house and and uh, we are just excited about what God is doing in this season so um, it's going to be great to have her back and for her to share some of the things that God's been speaking to her so we're going to talk for the beginning here for quite some time about context because context is important what What's going on and who is it about, and you know, understanding a book and why it was written, who it was written for, for, what was the intention of the writing. This is all really critical to understanding the book, as, you, as you'll see. And, and what I'm giving you now is someone after first service told me this, so I thought I'd share it with you. It's just what I'm doing now is something that you can do at home. This is not rocket science. You know, uh, in studying some of these things about context and, and history and, and, and getting this, and you can get this stuff. And, and then you can study uh, in depth in, in the Bible. It's, it's really something everyone can do, and we want to encourage you to do it. Study along with us. Call me or text me with any thoughts you have about Ephesians during this series. Uh, especially if it if it fit into where we're going, it would be great to have it and for you to be able to contribute. So how many of you would be interested in doing that? Good. That'd be great to get some texts or calls from you guys about ideas, or you can email me too, So, because it might, might take more than a little text. So first we're going to talk about uh, uh, the date and location of the writing of the book of Ephesians, all right? So it's somewhere between... Uh, A.D. F- 59 and 64 in Caesarea or Rome during Paul's imprisonment. It's says, what? First or second imprisonment. First. So um, it, it's good to know that um, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon were all written about that same time. So, and they all have very similar context and, and purposes in their writing. Uh, also, the intended audience is really important to know. The title says to the Ephesians. Guess who it's to? Oh, you guys, you're, you're amazing. <laughs> and uh, this is almost universally accepted. And of course, there's always those people, those naysayers out there that would that would disagree. And and there's some small, minute reasons to disagree. But in, on the whole. The whole church throughout history has agreed that this book was written to the Ephesians. And one of the great uh, evidences of that is the Maturian fragment, which is a, uh, a fragment that was found, that was written about 150 AD, that lists the entire canon of the New Testament. And in that, it says Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So that's really good evidence. That uh, that this that this from the very early get-go was uh, confirmed as written to the Ephesian church. Uh, also, the church fathers, uh, the early church fathers, those that are leaders in the church after uh, the initial uh, apostles died off and uh, the the first leaders died off, there were the church fathers. They all testify uh, through writing uh, and through quotation. Uh, uh, that this is a book written to the Ephesians. So let's look at the author and his relationship to the Ephesian church. First of all, the author is who? Paul, Paul, that's right. Uh, Twice he mentions that it's him. In uh, Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So uh, he he mentions it then, and then in verse 3 he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. So he's mentioning once again that he is the writer. He's emphasizing this, and and in some letters it's not as clear that it is Paul, but in this one it's very, very clear. It's also confirmed by testimonies of the early church fathers, uh, as well as Paul being quoted. Paul said in Ephesians, in the letter of Ephesians. These are quotations from the early church fathers that we could look at their fragments, their manuscripts, and see these things as well. Ephesians has the strongest chain of evidence for Pauline authorship to the Ephesians of any letter, uh, any epistle of the New Testament. So it's, it's a really strong uh, letter. We can look at it with confidence and know that yes, this letter was written by Paul to the Ephesians, all right? Um, let's look at, um, let's see, let's look at uh, the, uh, the location, first of all. Uh, you can see that, uh, you can see the city of Ephesus on one side, and you can see where, where Ephesus is in the, in the old world. Uh, it's, it's in Turkey, uh, it's not too far from Jerusalem, which is down here. And, uh, and, and that's, that's uh, where that town is. And it's a very critical place, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, it was constructed on a little river bend. So here was this dinky little river, and they decided, let's build a town here. And so they built a town here, and, they said, and then they said to themselves, let's make ourselves more important and more significant. And so they dug out... A trench, and they made it a port. So now it's a port, and it became one of the most important ports in the old world. It went from east to west, west to east, and uh, travel wasn't very easy then. So to have a port like this was really essential. It became one of the most strategic uh, merchant, mercantile ports in the old world, and uh, so it would it would it would go from Asia. All the way into Athens and Corinth and Rome and it's it had a great strategic relevance. There was a very wealthy town and um, and that 's how it all happened um, also uh, you could see some of the pictures here that i that I put up just so you can see this is a really famous uh, library of celsus. You can see this to this day that 's a current picture, or at least i don 't know when that was taken, but it 's moderately current and uh um Ephesus had and still has some great ruins and some very world-renowned places. It had one of the seven wonders of the world in it, For many years. And uh, this is a theater that held originally 25,000 people. And this was around the time that Paul would visit Ephesus. Matter of fact, at one point, he was brought into this theater and confronted uh, by people because they didn't like what he said. So this is actually a place where Paul was, and he was confronted by many people. I don't know how many, but the capacity was 25,000. Paul's first visit to Ephesus... Uh, is talked about in Acts chapter 18. It says, They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Those Jews, they needed reasoning. That's for sure. And uh, this work, after the first visit, was carried on by Apollos, Aquila, and Priscilla. It's kind of interesting, because Apollos didn't have the greatest understanding, although he was a church leader, he didn't have the greatest understanding of the gospel. You know, the gospel is pretty fresh here, right? And so um, Priscilla and her husband, Aquila, were instructed uh, to give Apollos a better understanding of the gospel. They taught uh, Apollos, who was one of the leaders of the church. And, And so... Uh, That's what happened then and then Paul's second visit was after he visited Jerusalem and it lasted for three years. This is the longest time that Paul stayed in any one place. He was a rolling stone. And he he went all over the place. And for three years, he stayed in Ephesus. Uh, You can understand the significance of that. Someone who was really led by God in so many different places, at so many different times, for him to stay in one place for such a long extended period must have said something, and it does. We'll look at it in just a minute. For three years, he stayed there. And then... um, On his last trip to Ephesus, he was on his way sailing to Jerusalem and he felt like he was not supposed to go into the city, but he called the leaders of the church uh, out and he delivered a farewell address at Miletus. And I just want to read you a little of this farewell address. So think of it. He's already visited once. He's now visited twice. He stayed for three years during that second visit. And now he's, he's going to Jerusalem, on his way to Jerusalem, uh, a little later on in his ministry. And he calls these leaders uh, to himself, these uh, leaders that he invested in for three years. And he says, From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time as I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, those Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Hmm. This is a farewell address, a significant farewell address. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. This is a very personal, intimate letter that's coming. He had a very deep relationship with these people. And so the letter that we're, we're jumping into over the next three months is a letter of intimacy, a, a letter of investment, of profound letter. And you can imagine, here's Paul and he's saying, I'm not gonna see you again. He knew that. You know, Tuesday, I had this procedure and, you know, I'm just thinking about it and I thought, well, I better say something to my people that are important in my life and so I had them come in one at a time. <laughs> and I told them something special, each one of them. Not that terribly profound, but more intimate, you know. That's what you do when you think you might not see someone again. And and so the communication that Paul is giving. Not only at this but point, but think about it, he knew. When he was writing the Ephesian letter, he knew he wasn't going to see them again. He had, "I must tell you this. You must know this." So this is the kind of relationship they had. very deep, loving relationship. What's the overarching theme of Ephesians? It is the church, God's full expression the world now as an individual christian in the world when i used to read the bible i used to read it as what does this say to me and that's not a bad thing to do that's the one of the first things to do but then you have to look at it differently it's what does this say about us that is really essential and, and so we want to keep that in mind because this letter is not just written to a bunch of individuals that live in Ephesus. This is written to the church of Ephesus. And you'll see in just a minute that that has great significance. What is Paul's purpose in writing this letter? We have to look at his circumstances, okay? So... He's not in the field. He's not bouncing around from city to city. What he is doing is he's in prison somewhere, and he's, not, he's, he's still. He's quiet, and um, uh, there's not, it's not hectic. He's just in prison somewhere. There's not much to do in prison. You can't even choose what you want on the menu, right? So here you are. You're in prison, and you know it's kind of like a little retreat in a sense, right? <laughs> well, maybe not, but in the, in the sense that you can get away from all the craziness of life and now you can look. Now you can look in a, in a new way at things and you can see things in a much broader way. And that's exactly what Paul did in this book is he was looking in a very broad way at things, not broad way, don't do that, but broad way of things about what the church is who God says the church is, who God says we are as a congregation. We are as the church of Christ. You know, I gotta tell you, we have an amazing group of pastors that live in this state. And uh, I get to represent many of them in the Salt Lake area and work with standing together. And uh, and we meet regularly every month. And we are more and more recognizing that we are the church, the church of Christ. That's a good thing, you guys. Please be praying for that because the unity of the body of Christ is moving in a momentum, a momentous pace. It's moving, the momentum is moving momentously. (laughs) It's it's moving well, and, and that's a good thing because the unity of God is part of the testimony of the body of Christ to this world, right? Jesus said that. That's just a little side thing. So here here he is in this calm of the imprisonment and and he's able to look at the church from a very clear understanding. And let me me read you a little of what C.S. Lewis said about this, all right? This is what he said. With this standpoint, here he is, he can write to the churches about Ephesus on the occasion of Tychius' return to Colossae not to correct false views on some special Uh, Point, which is what some of his letters were, right? But to emphasize the great central truth which he had put in the very forefront of his letter God's eternal purpose is to gather into one the whole created universe, to restore harmony among his creatures and between them and himself. There's a lot in there. We're going to get to this stuff. The apostle's whole prayer is for this end. His whole effort and desire is towards this goal, that they may have full, clear knowledge of this purpose of God, which he is working out through Christ Jesus, who is the head of the church, the very fullness of him who is being fulfilled all over the world. He's quoting Ephesians one twenty three here. The church is the fullness of God. So this reconciliation that's taking place is taking place through the church of God. It's not taking place because some one guy gets up and preaches the gospel. It takes place because we are the church of Christ and we are called to move forward. This is the reason why we are doing this series. We are doing this series on purpose. Because as a church, we have to realize that although... We have lost an amazing personality in our church and the founding pastor of our church who passed away just a little over four months ago. But we have not lost our purpose. Amen? Do you hear that? Because this is so important. We are called as a church to move forward in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And we are doing this series for that very purpose that we would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And not on anything else. Yes, we we mourn the loss, but we move forward in the power and authority that God has given us and praise God on the foundation that was laid by our beloved pastor. Amen? So we as a church must grab hold of this and I'm telling you guys, you need, to, you need to get this. We are doing this series for the very purpose of making sure that we stay focused on the promise and the call that God has for us as the church of Christ. Not as individuals, but as the church of Christ and that we would move forward in it. C.S. Lewis made it very clear in this. Everyone gets this. I didn't get it for a long time, but I do now that this is, this is really about God's church moving forward in his authority and his promise, exercising all the gifts that each one of us, male and female, old and young, would move forward in the authority and a power that God has given us, the calling that he's given us. This is what Alfred says. He's another commentator. He says, the object of the epistle is to set forth the ground, the course, and the aim and end of the church of the faithful in Christ. He speaks to the Ephesians as a type of sample of the church universal. Hence, the church throughout the epistle is spoken of in the singular, not in the plural, churches. So what he's saying here is that Paul wrote this for us. He wrote this for us, for you and me, for the adventure for the church in Utah he wrote the book of ephesians so that we would get it that this is not just about what am i going to get from a sunday sermon but what are we doing as the church of jesus christ you guys getting this now in a culture where it is very individualistic and we talk about you know we talk about independence this is the weekend to talk about independence it's it's very easy to think that we as individuals are independent in ourselves. But that is never God's plan. God's plan is relationship. God's plan is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together in triunity. And then that relationship rolls out to the rest of us and we, uh, being united because of the Holy Spirit of God, the grace of God, the power of God move forward and we are able to be the fullness of Christ in this world. That's the epistle to the Ephesians. So what's the subject, some of the subjects that, that, uh, that we're gonna be talking about? Well, today we're gonna be talking about in Christ. We will get to that in a while. We're still doing this introduction so I'm not going to go into that too much. The, the next thing we're going to talk about is God's eternal sovereign call. That's next week. To realize that you were called, that you were predestined by God to be his child before you were even born is a radical realization if you get it. But I'm sorry to say that most of us don't get this. And most of us worry. Gee, am I really a Christian? Am I really doing good enough to be a Christian? Do I really deserve this? All this stuff. But the reality is, is that God called us, he predestined us before we were even born. It takes everything off the table. And he says, you are mine. Before you were even born. The more we get this, The more our lives changed, the more we are transformed, the more we are able to be the church. This is why Ephesians is quoted most in my base camp curriculum, our base camp curriculum. Because when we get this about God destining us to be his children... And that it's not about our works and what we do. And that's one of the next things that we talk about is is God's grace and reconciliation. It is God's sovereign will that you are here today and you are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those of you that know God, know God. It is not because you're so smart, so educated, so humble. It's not because of any of those reasons. It is because God called you. Yes? Yes? God called you, and you know what? That is humbling, but at the same time, it is extremely comforting to know that it is nothing in yourself, not by work, so that no man can boast. It is the grace of God, the grace of God. So we're gonna get to that. Doesn't that sound like fun? Because I'll tell you, as, as someone who was a hospice chaplain for some time, I realized that at the end of people's lives, Even Christians do not get this one point a lot of times. And they worry, was I good enough? Did I do enough? That is so off the table, you guys. That is so off the table in God's eyes. And what happens if we keep it on the table, it slows us down and trips us up each and every day. So we're going to get to that. Next is the mystery of God, the mystery of God. I'll talk a little more about that too. And then the unity. So God is revealing his purpose in the church. Then he's saying, let's unify together. Let's have the love and the unity that, that, that the cross of Christ delivers to us. We'll be talking about that one week. And then next, the new self and walking in the light. That we would walk and not live futile lives. I hate going around the mountain over and over and over again. And I almost hate as much, if not more, watching others that I love go around the mountain again. But it happens all the time. It's called futility. And God has given us a way to not live lives of futility That we could live lives of moving forward in his authority, his power, his love, his healing, his peace, his joy, each and every day, regardless of the circumstances. Regardless. So we do not have to live lives of futility. Does that sound like a good week to talk about? Good. And then restored relationships. I'm really looking forward to this because... Relationships have been broken since the fall. In the garden, part of the curse was that men and women would fight and struggle. There would be a power struggle. I don't see that at all, do you? <laughs> it affects us in ways we don't even recognize, <clears throat> but it does. And I think it's, it's quite obvious in many ways, but some ways it's very subtle. And the, the, the brilliant thing, is that when the grace of God comes in our lives and we start exercising uh, our, our walk with God and walk in a way of love, we do not have to have that type of relationship with others ever again. And we can walk in unity, in restored relationships. And so we're going to have a great talk about that. I'm excited about that. And then, because here we are, we're talking about the church of God. We're talking about being a whole church. Can you imagine a whole church having off the table the thought about, gee, I wonder if God loves me today? Wouldn't that be great? The whole church, no one's thinking that ever again. What it would do to us. I, I say that and I harp on it because I know as, as a Jew who has great Jewish guilt instilled in his life that once I realized it it, 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 it took away the futility in my life and it gave me freedom and joy that overwhelmed my soul. I forgot where I was going with that, but it sounded good. Oh, because we're this church, I just reminded myself, because because we are this church that believes this, that's now walking in unity, that now has restored kingdom relationships instead of relationships that were built on some type of man-made, man-oppressive relationships. Because we are this church, guess what we need? The armor of God, spiritual warfare. And so we will talk about spiritual warfare as well. And, and so this is what we're looking at for the next three months, talking about these issues. Does that sound good to you? I want to commit you, to, you know, encourage you to, to be a part of this series and to actively study the word. And if you have any ideas, to send them to me by email, text, or phone, so that so that we can include that in as well. All right. So to summarize, the focus of Ephesians is the mystery of God's purposes in the church revealed. And the way that happens is threefold. First, God reconciling individuals through the act of grace. We will talk about that. God reconciling individuals to each other, breaking down barriers. Doesn't that make perfect sense? And then three, God uniting individuals in one body, the church. Can you see how it's impossible for the church to be the church unless it has the first two things happen? Unless you are free to be you and to not have to worry about and have anxiety about who you are in God, how can you move forward? And if you have that, you must also be able to reconcile relationships and have kingdom-focused relationships instead of the angst anxiety, anger, and hierarchies that are placed on relationships in the world setting but are not a part of the kingdom of God setting. As a matter of fact, hierarchies are anathema to the kingdom of God setting, isn't it? It says the greatest is what? What? The least. So hierarchies are exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. And then, when we have those things in order, then we can be the church. Then we can be the church. So back to this mystery for just a minute. Because uh, that's what this series is called, Ephesians, God's Mystery Revealed. When he used this word mystery, I think he was thinking about... God's mystery revealed in his life. It makes sense to me. So here you have Paul called Saul and he was convinced firmly in his own mind that what he needed to do was kill Christians. And so he went from place to place and was famous for it, killing Christians because he knew, he was convinced in his own mind that Christians were evil and they needed to be destroyed. This Christian virus needed to be destroyed. And so he went from place to place with firm conviction in his soul until he went on a little road that led to Damascus. And on that road, he had a little bit of a mystery revealed to him where he got knocked off his vehicle and he was blinded. And God said to him, I am Jesus, you are persecuting. And the mystery was revealed to him. And I think this could possibly be what he was talking about when he wrote this book and he wanted people to see, look at this picture of the church. Because it's so easy for us to stay and to, to, to run around in our, our little daily life and do this and do that, but not see with clarity what truly is the case for our lives. How does this relate to us? Well, I'll tell you. You know, before I had that first test, I had no idea what was going on in my heart. I had no idea. I had one artery 100% blocked and the other one 95% blocked, and I was going along. I was actually exercising on the treadmill and hiking up Diamond Head in Hawaii when we were there just a month ago. I was doing all these things, and I was clueless. And we can be like that in so many ways. God is saying, I want you to see what the church is about. I want you to see first who you are and then who we are and then what we are called to do. That's the book of Ephesians. The mystery of God revealed. Doesn't that sound exciting? Let's read this together. We're going we're gonna to get into our scripture now. All right? <laughs> we're going to read this together, all right? So we don't do this very often, and the idea is, is to speak out boldly. You can do it, yeah? And women, you can harmonize while you do this. No? Yeah? Ready? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So we're going to just look through this first section here, and then we'll Continue on with verse 4 next week, the first three verses. So, first, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. The word there is apostolos, it means someone sent. It doesn't mean the king of the church, it doesn't. It means someone sent. Someone sent. Now, this word first was assigned in the early days of the church. It was first assigned to the disciples. But then, because there was no hierarchy in the church and it's based on on what is needed uh, to grow and the callings and giftings of the individuals that are in the church, it grew. It grew to someone like Saul who became Paul, who is now an apostle. The first apostles were those that were the disciples that were with Jesus. Paul was not. He did not, he was not a part of Jesus' life. But he came after. And so there were apostles that came after. And then it gradually grew into really realizing and understanding that, hey, God is doing something here and we need people that are gifted to call, and called to go out and raise up churches, raise up people, and do a mighty work in the kingdom. Both men and women were apostles. You can look in Romans chapter 16 and see that, that Junia was listed by Paul as one of the the greatest apostles of that time. By the will of God, sent by Jesus, sent by Jesus. Are you sent by Jesus? Do you wake up each day and realize that God has called you to be sent? It's so easy to forget. Every morning, I'll tell you, I'm 50-50 on this. But some mornings I wake up and I remember I'm sent. And sometimes I remember like, oh, I got to do that. (laughs) Got to go to work. Got to do this. Got to take care of the kids. Got to clean the house. Got to do the lawn. And you have to do those things anyway. But if you realize that you're sent, it's done in a whole new way. We are sent by Christ. Each one of us. Sent by Jesus. By the will of God. He did not rely on his own ability. But on the grace and the will of God. It is the will of God that, uh, that gave him the ability to be able to do what he did. He loves to take jars of clay and do something miraculous. Right? Yes? And, and so Paul is saying it is the will of God, not my own will not my own strengths, not because I'm so good, not because I'm so smart and studied, not because I've got it all together. It is the will of God that causes him to do what he does. Do you realize that that is what God is looking for in you? He is taking a broken vessel like a Paul, like an Ira, like a Pete, like a Marsha. He's taking us and he's doing miraculous things through us the church of Christ. Now, you could read this clause as a, as a clause of exclusivity, right? That, oh, I'm the apostle, and I'm called by God. It's by God's will. He's the one who told me to do it, and you were not told. And this is, this is the way the world would read this. But this is not the case, He's saying, I am a guy named Paul sent by Jesus, my Savior, my Deliverer, by God's grace to do what I'm doing and solely by his grace. And that is each and every one of us as well. Let us recognize that as we go through. That this is not about the hierarchy of this world. This is about the kingdom of God and it is a whole nother realm The will of God. It is by the grace of God that we accomplish everything we do. Can you imagine a church of people that realized that they could do anything that God led them to do and that they were not looking at their weaknesses, limitations, or doubts to stop them? What would that do to the church? It would be radical. What would that do for your friends, family, neighbors, co workers? If you lived like that, that is the call of God. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Hagiazo, the saints, the saints. It means sanctified ones, holy ones who have faith, grace first. Faith second. This is, this is really key, and this is uh, a foreshadowing of the very important concept of grace that he will be talking about, uh, we'll be talking about in, in just a couple weeks. But we are called by God, by the grace of God first. We are holy. Imagine a church that realizes that they are holy regardless. That we are each clothed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that when God looks at us, all he sees is the holiness of God. What does that do to a person's soul to realize that? Well, I know that when I have gone through my life and I have looked at my recurring sins over and over and over again. It's very hard to see that. But when you get it, futility falls away. And we are called to be a church that does not walk in futility of our thinking, but walks in the fullness of Jesus Christ. We must realize that it is the holiness of God that we are saints and we believe. Salvation is is because God saved us by his grace and now we believe. It is not contingent on our works. Amen? It is by his grace and his grace alone. We are a saint. Point to someone right now next to you and say, you are a saint, even if I don't think so. You're a saint first. You have faith second. And you can see that in 2 Thessalonians. You you see this pattern. Paul has set, set up throughout all of his writings. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Sanctification first. We are cleansed. We are made holy. And now you're believing. Get it? So important for us to get. It is so freeing. It is so freeing, you guys, to realize that it is not anything you can do in your own self at all. Zip zero. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a benediction that finds uh, great importance because it is repeated over and over and over and over again in Paul's writings. Almost every single one, I think there's only one of his letters that he wrote that does not have grace and peace to you in it. So I think he's probably trying to say something here. Grace, God's unmerited favor. His unmerited forgiveness for you. That you would have that that you would have that understanding that there is nothing that you did to merit God's favor in your life, but you have it. You have it. And then peace. The root of that word is rest. God's unmerited rest for you. Not because you deserve it, but because he gave it to you. Rest from fear, rest from works, rest from anxiety. We can rest, we could have the Sabbath rest of God that is spoken of in the scriptures and forever be free from ever thinking about having to do something to be approved again. What a delight that is. Don't you think maybe that's the reason why he said it in in almost every one of his writings is because we have to get this. And then down to the the last verse, the last verse is, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. This verse is actually a foundation of something so marvelous. It is the the cap of, of a wonderful chain of clauses that we're going to be looking about in the next couple of weeks. These things that are the blessings of God we are going to look at in the next few weeks. But here he is talking overarch, overarching about it and he's talking about it from, from an aerial view and he's saying blessed is God because of it. This praise word is Buracha, which is actually blessed in, 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 in Hebrew, um, Bless God, bless God for all the things that he has given us. Every spiritual blessing in Christ we should bless God for. Do you bless God? Well, you might bless God on a Sunday morning. You might bless God at at a meal. But God has challenged me so often to be blessing him all the time in every way, in every form. Look at what he's given us, you guys. Look at the incredible gifts he's given us. Can we not bless him? Boldly, loudly, proclaim his goodness in our midst. God is good. Amen? The word blessed, he, that he's blessed us, is active in the Greek. It's active in the Greek. It means he's efficiently actively blessing us all the time he is blessing us he is blessing us the blessing of god in our lives yet at the same time he also says in this in this verse that who has blessed us so it is a past tense it is an active and a past tense speaking of the amazing reality that the dynamic that it is no longer a promise but it is a fulfillment in our lives. He has blessed us. What he is doing now and what he will continue to do in our lives for all eternity is something that has been established forever and ever and ever. If we get this, we're able to move on. So you have to get it. I'm going to wait. We, we, it's so delightful to get this, that, that, that God is blessing us, that he is actively blessing us, but it, it, is a, it is a decisive fact that he has blessed us. It is over. It is finished. It is done. When he said it is finished, the blessings of God were established in our lives for eternity. If you're waiting for them, they are already established. Walk in them. And then it's every spiritual blessing. It's these are spirit, they they come from the spiritual realm, these blessings. And not only that, it's every blessing. Every blessing of God is for us. Every blessing. He has so given us the blessings that we are surrounded and overflown by it. We can receive those blessings. In the heavenly realms. Every spiritual blessing we have received springs from a higher world. It is the kingdom of grace here on earth. And we as believers are introduced to this kingdom of grace. The blessings of God that are actively moving, that are firmly rooted and established, they will never change. And we get introduced to them as children of God. And then just this last part, in Christ. In Christ refers to the believer's union and identification with Christ. Paul repeats this over and over and over in this epistle for this very purpose that we would understand that it all comes from being in Christ. In him is contained the grounds as to why we are blessed. It is because of him that we are blessed, being in Christ. It's used eight times in this epistle. It is because of being in Christ that all these blessings that we will be talking about today and in the future could possibly be possible. It says in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. In Christ. All the blessings of God. Every one of them that he's talking about in this scripture. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Because we are in Christ. Are you in Christ today? Do you know him as Lord and Savior? Maybe you do, but are you resisting him today? Stop resisting and walking in the futility of your flesh and start allowing the the blessings of God to be there in your life. It's easy, it's easy to, to be around Christ. Being around Christ is not in Christ. There were a lot of people around Christ even in the day. Pilate even hung around Christ, right? Even talked with him, but never came in Christ. There were people that are aware of Christ, you could be here today and have been attending your, your whole life as, as someone that comes to church and might be for the first time realizing that I need to walk in Christ today because that is where the blessing is. That's where the promise is. It is not a religious pat on the back. This is a list John Piper has on the one of his teachings, and I just love it. These are scriptures that, um, that you can get out of the Bible that are just talk about being in Christ, and we're gonna close, and I'm gonna read these to you. Would you please stand? All oh, the blessings of God are in Christ. This is the first thing we need to know, is that we are in Christ just close your eyes right now, and I'm gonna read these to you, all right? Let the Lord be speaking to you about who you are, his promises for you. In Christ Jesus, you were given grace before the world was created. 2 Timothy 1:9. In Christ Jesus, you were chosen by God before creation. Ephesians 1:4. In Christ Jesus, you are loved by God with an inseparable love, Romans 8. In Christ Jesus, you were redeemed and forgiven for all your sins, Ephesians 1, 7. In Christ Jesus, you are justified before God, and the righteousness of Christ is imputed, given to you, 2 Corinthians 5. In Christ Jesus, you have become a new creation and a son of God, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. In Christ Jesus, you have been seated in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2, 6. In Christ Jesus, all the promises of God are yes for you, 2 Corinthians 1:20. In Christ Jesus, you are being sanctified and made holy, 1 Corinthians 1, 2. In Christ Jesus, everything you really needed will be supplied, Philippians 4, 19. In Christ Jesus, the peace of God will guard your heart and mind, Philippians 4, 7. In Christ Jesus, you have eternal life, Romans six twenty three. And in Christ Jesus, you'll be raised from the dead, at the coming of the lord 1 corinthians 15:22 being in christ changes everything everything in christ and not religion anything less than being in christ is counterfeit and has no value. Today, I believe the Lord is speaking. He's speaking to you today to walk in Christ. There might be some of you that don't know Christ yet, and this is your opportunity to receive him as Lord and Savior because he died on the cross for your sins so that you can have this relationship and receive these blessings that we talked about. Being in Christ is intimacy with God. It is not some act of religion, some work that you do, but it is walking in relationship with God for eternity. Why would you choose to stay outside of this relationship when God is calling us in with these wonderful blessings? Lord God, right now we just come before you. And we thank you, God, that your blessings are in Christ for us. We ask, God, that you would move on our hearts. I just want to give you an opportunity, if that's something that you desire, to walk in Christ, to build a relationship with him. Maybe you know Christ, but you have not been walking. You've been walking more in futility. Or maybe this is the first time you're just saying, I need to follow God because I need these blessings in my life. I'm not doing so well on my own. If, if that's you, while everybody's eyes are closed and we're praying, could you just raise your hand and just say, yes, I want Christ. Yes, I w- amen, amen. Anyone else? Yes, yes. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's all just join those that have raised their hands because we can all pray this prayer each and every day. Let's join those that are asking Christ for this relationship. They want to be in Christ. Let's join in solidarity with them. Can you all repeat after me? Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you And recognize my need. Without you, I could do nothing. But you are offering life. Forgiveness of sins. Reconciled relationship with you. I reach out my heart to you right now. And I recognize that you have already been drawing me. I receive your grace. I believe your promise that you love me and you will never leave me. And I receive you as my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Walk in the blessings that God has for you today. And hopefully we'll see you at 3 o'clock at the barbecue. It's going to be fun. We love you guys. Have a great, great day. Thanks for coming today.